Hello, I'm Moira Fay, and welcome back to the Dublin Business Collective, sponsored by SSE Airtricity, the podcast where we get together and jump into the minds of some of Ireland's most famous and inspirational business owners, founders, and entrepreneurs. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Gary Lavin, founder and chairman of Vitit, the internationally best-selling low-calorie, low-sugar vitamin drink brand. Gary saw a gap in the market and filled it. He noticed a lack of healthy drinks in our fridges and so set about creating a vitamin-filled, low-sugar alternative. He had a mission to add as much goodness to a drink without compromising on taste. And so Vitit was born. And today, you will find Vitit in over 18 international markets. But this doesn't happen overnight. How do you build a product and a brand that can sustain itself in competitive FMCG markets? And here to tell us exactly that is Gary. Thank you so much, Gary, for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. Delighted to be here. So it's this is something I've been looking forward to because we've heard the VitHit story through the chamber, you know, once or twice over the years, but we've never had long enough to discuss it. It's always been a very, very, very quick chat. And so I'm thrilled to have you with me today to talk about VitHit as an Irish brand and as an Irish business owner. So Gary, for anyone who's unfamiliar with your story or the VitHit story, could you just give us a quick whistle-stop tour? Could you just take us back to the start and tell us how the concept for VitHit was born? It was many years ago, probably 23 years ago now, um, when I actually created my first uh, vitamin drink. And it was off the back of, um, I used to play a lot of sports. I played rugby professionally. And I knew that sugar was really bad for you and the general public didn't. So I used to see people running on treadmills and trying to burn off calories and sugar, etc. And at the end of it, they'd take in a sugar filled drink. And I often wondered why that was. So I decided to create a low calorie, uh, low sugar vitamin drink, which actually took about two years. So I actually started the project in 1998. And people now look at Vitit and they say, oh, it's a brand new product, but it's taken a long, long time to get to where it is today. So the whole idea was get a product that tastes just as good, if not better than sugar, but actually to have a lot of benefits to it. So I often find that I'm my taste buds are pretty lazy. So and I think a lot of people in Ireland and UK are the same, that if you have something that's good for you, but that doesn't taste great, you're not going to switch over. So that was the whole thing with with Vitit. Um, when the concept started all those years ago, I just wanted something that I would like to drink and that was a lot better for you than the everyday sugar. And that's where the concept came from. Fantastic. And I'd love to ask how hard is it to develop a product and figure out a brand identity that will stand out? You know, you have the idea, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah, well, if you take it back to basics, I believe the success of it is down to three things. It's got to look really good. It's got to taste really good. And then it's got to be really good. So but it's very difficult to get all those things right at the same time. So to look very good, you've got to have a great designer and then you've got to be able to recognize when your design comes. If you don't have an eye to say, you know, if you're looking at 10 designs and you pick the wrong one, you're dead in the water before you even start. And then part two, it's got to taste really good. If you are, you know, used to drinking sugary drinks and you switch over and you try it just once because it looks good. And if it doesn't taste incredible, you're gone. You're never going to get that customer for the second time. We spend between 18 months to two years on each one of the flavors that we create. So it has to be absolutely perfect. So any of the brand uh, extensions that we do, it just takes a long time. And then it has to be really good. So when you get a customer and they become a loyal customer, eventually they're going to read the back of the pack. 
Um, so it might not be the first time, might not be the fifth time, but it could be the tenth time. And they're sitting there with their sandwich and they want to know what's in it. And you look at the back and if you see lots of sugars and if you see lots of bad things, then you're going to lose them. So you've got to be able to grab them on the shelf. You've got to be able to keep them with the flavor and then you've got to keep them for life uh, with what's on the back of the product. So that's that part of it. But then there's all this. If you split those down into different areas, I think one of the most interesting little ditties that I have was I nearly didn't recognize the correct packaging. So it was years ago, the product was called Vitz and it wasn't selling at all. And this was probably back in 06. And I found this young designer, a guy called uh, Dave Fitz. Um, he works around Dunleary and I went into Dunleary to see him. And I said, look, I'm changing the brand to Vit Hit. You can do what you like with it. Just, you know, make it look really nice and healthy. So I uh, went away for two weeks, came back to him. And I remember going into his studio and he had a blackboard and he had six different labels on it. And I looked at them all and I was like, no, I don't like them. And just as I was genuinely at the door opening the door, I said, you know what? I have a bottle down in the car. Let me go down and get it. Walked down to the car, got the bottle out of the back of the car, came back up and ripped the label off the blackboard that he had and stuck it on the bottle. And I went, oh, my God, that's it. It's perfect. Like, and I nearly missed it. So... You know, there's no way Vitit would be successful if I didn't recognize it. I very nearly didn't. So it's so important, all those little things at every stage that you make. And I haven't changed the label since then. Um, So you got to know when it's right. And if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it at that stage. Yeah. Oh, God, for sure. Mm. In terms of creating a brand and developing a brand, you know, a big part of it is that baseline of understanding of what your customer wants and making sure that they understand the idea, that they understand the product, that they understand your your vision for the product. And the best way, obviously, to communicate that is to communicate with your customer. And, you know, when I was doing my research for today, I had seen that you'd spoken a little bit about getting out there and selling your own product and like selling your own brand. And I suppose one of the most important tools in the business world is the ability to sell, the ability to understand what you're selling and and the ability to sell it well. It's probably one of the most important skills and yet very little formal qualification exists around it. It's it's something that you have to just Mm -hmm. do. Um, And I just wonder if you just had a little bit, you know, had some thoughts around that. Yeah, I think sales is actually the most important thing that any company can have. You can have all the greatest accountants and logistics people in the world working for you, CFOs, CEOs. But if you're not actually selling product, you're a goose. You know, your your product just doesn't matter. And then if you've got a really nice product that doesn't actually say what it is. So I was going around the country selling my wares and was sticking it up on the shelf and the product wasn't selling because the brand didn't say what it was. And we don't have the budgets of Procter & Gamble or Coca-Cola to tell people Um, exactly what the product is and do big advertising campaigns. And that was one of the failures that I had at the start was that the product wasn't describing itself. I thought it was. The brand name was called Vitz. I thought it meant vitamins. And when I did a little bit of research um, in a technical college, they turned around and said, oh, it must be German. It must be Weitz. So that was an aha moment for me. It was also, oh God, you know, what what have I done here? Um, but I always knew that the product inside it was good. So once I had changed it, the bottle kind of sells itself. So if you've never seen Vitted before, when you go into any of our new territories, like we launched in Australia a couple of years ago, um, or down the UAE, you know, you just look at the product and know exactly what it does. So that product sells itself as well. So there's two parts to it. You've got to get the product to sell itself. And then as a person to be a salesperson, I always 
slag my commercial sales director in the UK, I say he's a salesman trapped in an accountant's body <laughs> because he's he's a, he's a very conservative type of guy who is quite focused, but he's not, he admits himself, he's not a natural born salesman. You know, there's two type of salesmen. There's the guy who'll kick the door open and go, hey, and everyone will like him and he'll light up a room. Or there's a guy like him. He's still a very likable fella, but he's more subtle and he he's... He's more linear. So my, my point is, I guess, is that you can teach sales to people. He's not a born salesman and he admits it, but he's actually doing an incredible job. And I mean, last year in the UK, we grew at 60%. So he's he's doing a really good job. Um, but yeah, I think there are certain people that you can just look at them and go, this guy's going to sell all day. Yeah. And then there's people who you wouldn't believe are salespeople, but they can learn. Yeah. And just I'm curious to know, how long did the brand exist as Vitz before you took a decision? I mean, I imagine that's a fairly big, mm-hmm. you know, de- all the, the time and energy that's been invested into yeah. this one brand to, to go and decide to do a 180. Yeah, it was about six years. And yeah. I, I, at the same time, I made another decision. Um, I, I had another brand called Organic Fanatic. So it was um, an organic juice drink. And I was basically pushing both brands at the same time. But what I realized was that Vitit was bringing in 80% of the sales, but Organic Fanatic was taking 80% of the time. So I just had to kill it. And and sometimes there's decisions that you have to just take your emotions out. Sometimes, you know, if you own a store and you really like the salad that you've created, but no one else likes it, you just got, or it's costing you a fortune, you just got to yeah. get rid of it. You just got to make those decisions. They're business decisions. They're tough. Um, so that was, I killed off Organic Fanatic um, and just focused on what was Vitz at the time. I had to change because I was losing money and I couldn't survive any longer. It was basically me or it. So yeah. I chose me and uh, I, I just knew once I had gone into that research um, college and they had told me because it wasn't selling. It was literally sticking on the shelf, growing old and growing dust. So I had to okay. do something uh, vastly different. So when you're young and you don't have dependence, I think it's a lot easier when you're running a business too. So it was basically just me. Yeah. Um, so I was able to make those decisions quite easily. So um, yeah, it wasn't working and I knew it wasn't working. So it was either change or get a real job. <laughs> Didn't want to do that. And as a founder, what role or if any, does networking and building relationships play in entrepreneurial success? So I suppose as a chamber of commerce for us, that kind of networking connection piece is huge and that, you know, a business can live or die by its by the, the ability of its owner to connect with other businesses and to, to kind of build that network and have that growth of connections. Would that be something that would have been relevant for Vithit? Yeah, very relevant. So if you take it back to what was important to the success originally of it, it was putting a stake in the ground in your hometown. At the start, I thought I was going to take over the world and I'd go and do international trade shows and I was failing at home. So at one stage, we sat down with with an accountant and she turned to us and said, look, your business is insolvent. Um, You're losing, I think I was losing, the company was losing 10 grand a month back in probably 2006, which was a hell of a lot of money, still a hell of a lot of money. And uh, we were just, we were on our last legs. So, I had to let go of the three salespeople I had. Um, I took over the Jeep and I drove up and down the country for a year and sold the product into three and a half thousand stores. And that's what rescued it. But I had to build relationships with my direct customers, the managers. And one of the things I used to say to the managers was um, I used to go in there and say, look, was the owner of uh, Coca-Cola in here today? And they'd obviously say no. And I'd say, well, I'm the owner of Vitit. It's an Irish company. Will you give me a shot? And that would kind of give them a bit of a smile. You'd, start up a bit of a relationship with them. 
you call back, you know, every month, every week and chat at them and get to know them and uh, understand their wants and needs. And uh, that was the basis of the success of it. I mean, still today, I was just across the road um, walking into a, a cafe here, grabbing a sandwich before I popped into the studio here. And I saw no Vitted on the shelf and I chatted to the manager and I'm going to try and get it sold in there. So you never stop. <laughs> never a day off. No, you never stop. <laughs> never stop. So given your experience and the journey that Vitted has had coming from Vits to now and the benefit of hindsight, has that affected your approach to risk taking in your business ventures now? What kind of factors would you consider? I mean, obviously, you took a huge risk by doing that mm-hmm. complete brand 180 for people who might something might not be working the way they wanted to. You know, how would you approach that now with the benefit of hindsight? Yeah, there's a few different answers to that. I think for me, I'd start as soon as possible. So if you're young and just out of college, just get into it, do it now, because I didn't have any dependents. I have two kids and wife now, and uh, although my wife would say she's certainly not dependent on me, and she isn't, she's independent, but when you have two kids, there's a lot more at stake. And would I make the same decisions now by just cutting and changing uh, and pivoting? I'm not so sure I would, but it wasn't a difficult mindset for me because both my parents were entrepreneurs, and it was a very obvious thing for me to do. Uh, a difficult decision for me would have been to go study and become an accountant. Yeah. That's That just wasn't me at all. So I don't think it was a brave thing to do to go in and just get my hands dirty and start up straight away. Um, I had started a few different businesses on the way and um, failing didn't really bother me. And I think that comes from playing sports. But to take it back to the original question, what would I do now? I tell you what I would do differently. I would have worked for somebody else and I would have learned from their mistakes. So if I was in the chocolate bar business, I'd work for Cadbury's, I'd understand exactly their route to market, their margins, all those important things. And I would probably be doing a bit of moonlighting at night, creating my own product. And you can do anything on the internet these days. Back then I didn't have any access to the internet. In 1998, when I first came up with the idea, it was all phone calls. I had to fly to Germany to talk to a a taste house. I had to go drive down to Limerick to find the guy who was going to stick my product in the bottles. So I think you can do a lot now and it doesn't actually cost that much. You can do a lot every every night for two hours. So I would still definitely tell people to, to go ahead, even if you have dependents. I think you can lean into it a little bit. You don't have to give up your job and put everything on the line. I think, depending on what it is, um, you could put aside a couple of grand a year, which is difficult enough, and then you know, get up to 10 grand, then you could start an FMCG company with your first production. So it, yeah. it can be done. It can be done. So now you've rebranded. Hit is one of the main contenders on shelves. It's got great brand identity. Then what? How do you keep up with trends and changes in the industry? Like, how do you stay ahead of the curve? And I suppose in that, be curious to know your your approach. Obviously, as you said, you completely started out here in 1998. E-commerce has obviously played, I say, a big role. I was only speaking to you before the recording and saying that I find the website a pleasure to deal with myself. How important was that to you? And also to keep up with key issues as well for brand trust. So... What has been important for you, Hmm. for VitHit, to stay ahead of the curve? Yeah, well, I used to go to New York once a year, every year, and uh, there was five or six stores that I would go to. So I think with FMCG, if it's a fast-moving consumer good like us or chocolate or water or whatever, 
it always happens in New York first. California was a bit of a stretch to go to. I mean, California are ahead of curves as well. And they still are uh, in our business. So I would go to the States. Um, I would enjoy myself in New York. And then I'd walk around with a sore head and <laughs> go into all the stores and just test the products and look at the packaging and see what's, what's happening. Um, you can kind of do that online now. So I'm always watching to see what the next big thing is. Um, so there, there is that. On the other side, I will take an imaginary walk through my local Tesco and I will see how many times I can see Vitit. So obviously the product that people would know is our 500 ml bottle and that's in most stores around the country. So when you're taking a zigzag across your average Tesco or Dunn stores, that used to be the only time you would see Vitit. So now we've created an all-natural product for kids which is 75% uh, less sugar than uh, traditional juice drinks. And it's got lots of vitamins, vitamins D and all that kind of stuff. So that is now in another part of the store. It's down around the fridges uh, with the juices. And then if you continue your walk um, and you get to the back of the store, we now have four packs as well. So that's one of the things that we do. And then another thing is I started to ask myself, well, what are the occasions in the day that customers uh, drink fit it? They'll drink it, you know, probably at lunchtime and then they'll drink it in the evening but they won't drink it in the morning. So that was one of the things that was scratching at the back of my head that I really wanted to create a vitted occasion for the morning. So we created this effervescent product, which I'm really proud of. It took two years uh, with the, the, the tastings, getting the flavors right, because it's very difficult to get an all natural product to taste great. And uh, we've got a hell of a lot of vitamins in there. And it's, we, don't, we don't have it for sale to the general public. It's um, out in retail stores. It's just online at vitit.com. So we've got three different uh, flavors. And so far, that has been really successful. That's actually taken over 30% of our online sales pretty much straight away. Wow. So that is an occasion that, that people were looking for, for Vitit. And yeah. I think that's, that's so far been successful for us. It's filling that gap. It's seeing the need and addressing it. It's yeah, I, I think a lot of the times I don't do a lot of research. I kind of just do basic things like take it down to really simple things like walking through a store, yeah. um, looking at times in the day when people would want your products. And uh, you'll find that there's always a little bit of white space there. There's always a little gap in a market, um, which are getting filled now. But uh, yeah, we're one of the companies that are filling those gaps. You have mentioned that your parents were both entrepreneurs. So... I'm imagining that there might be some impact there, but were there any other notable mentors in your life or figures that had an impact on your entrepreneurial journey? And also, a second question, if you could just tell me that, what do you think makes an entrepreneur? I've never actually had any mentors because I didn't think I, I needed them because my parents were, you know, I think parents are your everyday mentors. You know, they teach you what to do and what not to do. And both my parents are and were entrepreneurs. My mum is a little bit more of a risk taker. Her expression is, when the lights go amber, drive faster. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lot of people will slow down, she'll go faster. And I think I have a, a lot of that in me. So I never really gravitated towards any particular mentor. I, I do see a lot of good in it. Uh, if someone's been down that road before, then absolutely take their advice. But my parents have both been down that road before, and that's why I did that. I think... For me, it's a really interesting area, you know, what makes an entrepreneur and you got to definitely get back to childhood. So I was coming home in a cab recently and um, this cab driver says to me, um, oh, you know, do you have any kids? And I said, yeah, I've got one girl and one boy. 
and he said, uh, he said, did you ever see the uh, the Forbes article about um, women at the top of industry? And I said, no, I hadn't. And he said, um, they did research on 600 women who were um, at CEO or CFO levels in companies across the States. And uh, 87% of them, I think it was, was certainly almost 90%, um, had played a competitive sport in college or school. And what does that tell us? It basically tells me that it's a competitive environment. You learn to lose, you know, you learn to get up again um, because I don't think we're teaching our girls that enough. You know, a lot of girls will give up sports at those ages between 12 and 13. And, they, you know, and I, I just so I want to convince my kids to stay in team sports as long as they possibly can. Um, the other thing for me is, you know, who are you hanging around with? I was always hanging around with very ambitious people. It just happened that way. All my friends are are pretty high up in their own industries, whether they're lawyers or CEOs or whatever. And I think that's really important. If all of your group of uh, cohorts are moving in the same direction, a rising tide raises all boats. So I'm really interested in what makes an entrepreneur for kids. And then you've got your parents' attitude towards things. You know, are your parents telling you to not climb that tree or just, you know, go up, climb that tree and go do it? I, I think a sense of adventure is really, really important for an entrepreneur. And back to that team sports thing, not just for girls, but for guys as well. I think that's what gave me a sense of confidence that I believed because I was quite successful at sport that I believed I could wrongly. I believed I thought I could do everything. Right. <laughs> and uh, I soon learned as I was an adult that you actually can't. But I think being successful at sport, it certainly gives you a self-belief that you can do something ridiculous like start up a drinks company when you have absolutely no experience. So that's probably the basis of where my mindset is. Oh, it worked, though. Mm. <laughs> it paid off. So for a business that you want to grow um, and that you want to expand, obviously, the bigger you get, the more important it is to have the right people working for you. So I imagine that attracting and retaining the right talent is fundamental for you. How did you approach that with the team that you have and what did you want to achieve by, I imagine, you know, you're very close to it when it's your business, but you, you know, for growth, you need the village. Yeah, I think one of my strengths is knowing my, all my weaknesses. And um, it sounds like a cliche, but I definitely couldn't do any of this without the team that we have around us. So we've got a really, really strong team in Ireland. Uh, we have 16 people working out of an office here in Dublin. And then we've got people in the UK. We have seven or eight people in the UK. And we've got people in UAE and Australia and all around the world. So I'm definitely not the most important person in the company anymore, which I think is great. If I was to walk across the road and get hit by a bus tomorrow, the company would tick along without uh, any issues. And, and I think that's a, a really good thing to say. I wasn't able to say that a few years ago. The one thing that I will still do is kind of create brand extensions and make sure we're getting into different countries and just drive it at a top level. But there's so many people now more important than me who are doing stuff just below that level, running the company day to day, chasing invoices, making sure the product gets produced in Holland and gets down to the UAE or gets produced in France and comes up to Ireland or wherever, whatever that is. There's so much going on that actually I wouldn't even know how to run it now. So <laughs> I, I, I think that is really, really important. But the the first person that you get always has to be the person that can do something that you just cannot do. You know, so in my case, it's uh, the stuff that I, uh, you know, I do the fun stuff like sales, etc. But uh, for, in my case, it's someone who can look after the books. So that's the first person is almost the opposite of what you are. So if you are the accountant type person, then get someone who's really good at sales. And then you have to trust people. You know, you have to trust them that, they, that they'll do a job. 
one of the things that I will always say is I like to have entrepreneurs within our company. So the uh, commercial director in the UK, Ryan, when I first hired him, he was only a young guy. He looked about 12, but he was actually about <laughs> 25, I think. And uh, I had been running the UK myself and we just started. We were selling in Tesco and we were selling in Boots and I basically just kind of did a bit of training for him and I knew he was right, right guy for the job and I just handed the keys to the city and said right I'm going back to Dublin this is all yours good luck no pressure and it's either sink or swim you <laughs> yeah. know and that was a kind of an entrepreneur moment for him and he's uh, he, he, he runs the show over there now and you know I don't sit on his shoulder he, he we chat maybe once every week or two weeks or whatever and we just get stay on, on the phone and we just catch up on things but I completely trust him we've got um, Ashling here in Ireland who runs all our international stuff and she's like a dog with a bone, you know, going after. We're moving into France at the moment, moving into Germany next year. And uh, she'll do all of that, you know, hard work. And, and I'll, you know, come in at the top level and maybe meet with the distributor or try and get myself introduced to a distributor. And then once that's done, then she does all the hard work. You know, my job is done then. I love that idea of being able to have that entrepreneurial energy or spirit within working for another business that you can still have the ideas, you can still be that person. I really, I really, really like that. So what's next? What's, what's, the, what's the vision? What's the long-term goal? Well, the good thing about our business is once you have a stake in the ground and you have a profitable business, which I think is really important, certainly in this day and age when interest rates are so high and you know, it's, it's much harder to get, to get a loan, you, you have to be profitable. And it wasn't so cool to be profitable a few years ago it was all about you know building fast burning loads of cash and going and get more money I think that day is temporarily gone so we are profitable here and that will and in the UK for instance and that makes us available to go into other countries without without really blowing a lot of cash you, you just have a bit of a budget to go into other places so for us we're going to um, we're in Carrefour, 500 Carrefours across Paris now and we're trying to expand across the rest of France um, we're going to be going into Germany in January had a really strong project in um, Australia over the last two or three years so that's always grown so there's, there's always growth and um, the UK is growing grew last year at about 60% so there's always growth in the and, the and the decision for us to make is okay we've got our bottles that's going really strongly is it time now to drop in our cans into that market or is it time to drop in our kids product into that market so that's always constant conversations I would like to expand the range in our home market here in Ireland once a year bring in a new range of products so we've just obviously brought out our kids range we've just brought out our effervescent and so around this time I would say next February we'll probably have a, a new secret project that we'll be releasing okay. across the country we've heard it here first yeah. <laughs> so lastly if I could just wrap up asking you what would be the one piece of advice the, the one golden key the one piece of advice that you would give to either an aspiring entrepreneur or a new entrepreneur a business owner you know, someone who has had that idea, someone who is either about to start or who's just started, what would be the one piece of advice that you would give them? Well, if you haven't started, you know, I always say that there's 10 people at this moment thinking of the same thing you are and one other person is going to do it. So you need to put a fire under yourself and you need to go do it as soon as possible. When you get to that stage, you're going to fail a lot. And don't be afraid of failure. Just fail fast and just get up and just go do it again because... It can be a very lonely place being an entrepreneur at the start and it's not for everybody, but 
you know, if you have a little bit of determination and don't listen to the naysayers, you'll, you'll get kicked and it'll be tough. But it's definitely worth it in the long run. That's a really nice note to end it with. So thank you so much, Gary. You can tell when you are talking to a founder or a business owner, uh, because when they speak, it's definitely from the heart, not so much the mouth, because it is your brand and it's inspiring to hear the passion that you have. And, and for the growth, it's been it's been a pleasure to hear it. So I'm wishing you and VitHit and the new secret product (laughs) all the success uh, for the future and thank you for joining me and I would also like to thank everybody for listening today I would like to again thank our sponsors Airtricity and I will be back with you soon for more inspiring stories from trailblazing entrepreneurs in our vibrant city until then take care and speak to you soon